There is a battle going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. Good evening, my friends. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Thanks for tuning into my show. On tonight's first five on America Can We Talk, I want to talk about the firestorm that evolved in the last few days in Washington and around the country over comments President Trump is alleged to have made in a private meeting among, um, along with himself and other people, uh, members of Congress, as they were discussing the uh, how to deal with the DACA, the uh, people who have illegal immigrants were here in America and have some protection under President Obama's DACA order, but we have to resolve their legal status, the DACA issue, and then uh, the larger issue, which we'll turn to in the next segment, which is immigration. But I want to start with what uh, has caused a firestorm. President Trump is alleged to have used a crude term with respect to countries where people um, are coming from. And it was Haiti in particular, and I guess some countries in um, Africa or South America, um, and referred to them in a very derogatory way. And we, don't, we only say nice words on this show, so I'm not going to repeat the language attributed to him. Leaving aside the fact that other people in the meeting said he didn't say such a thing that he was accused of, I want all of us to step back and look at what they were really discussing there. The argument by Democrats in this country over and over and over and over is that we in America are so wealthy, we have so much to give, and these people who need to come to America, whether under the refugee status or via immigration— have to come to America that we should welcome every single one of them we possibly can because they come from countries where poverty, crime, corruption, misery, danger, or crime, and just utter, uh, utter misery, human misery, is the norm. That is the argument why, from the American left, over and over and over and over, why America should take more and more people from various uh, countries. And why, and in fact, several, many of the countries where the, the DACA people here in America now are from uh, are countries like that. And so this is the argument of the left, that you must let them come here because the countries they are from are so awful. They are so, the conditions are deplorable, the danger is through the roof, it's, an, it's just impossible to even imagine how bad their lives are. And so what President Trump really said was, he used, if he did use that term, and I, I don't know because I wasn't there, but if he did use that term, he spoke in a very, uh, in, in the human vernacular, or the popular vernacular, that these countries, and you know, in, to put in a polite way, they're not places you would choose to go on vacation. They're not places you would think, gee, I sure wish I could go spend three or four months down in any of these countries, Haiti being a prime example. So President Trump may have used a term that people think is unpresidential. Now, if I were his speechwriter, obviously I would not have suggested use of that term. But this is a problem of being uh, two, it's threefold thing. The first problem is that President Trump said what a lot of Americans think and know. We feel, and it doesn't, it isn't that we hate these countries or the people from them. We hate the deplorable conditions. We wish we, the life could be better for them, but it's not about hating the people. It's about being truly saddened and, and, um, 
and just disheartened and, and sympathetic for the lives they live. He said the same thing the left says all the time. Number two, you have to recognize what we're talking about is, we're going to get to it in the next segment, is we're talking about what policies, what ideas, what principles should be behind America's, um, both our immigration policies and our refugee policies going forward. It is a question President Trump raised to the American left and has caused mountains and mountains of, of thought, which was a good thing, which is what should our priorities be? Why do we, why do the Democrats always and only want to have people come to America who are impoverished? What is the reason that that is viewed as the high ground, the best thing to bring the, the least poor, the, the poorest, the least educated, the least skilled? Why should that be a priority in our immigration system? And why don't we talk directly about why? Because this is the why, folks. This is the third point. And now I think I have four points. The third point being the Democrat Party in this country we now know without any doubt from Jennifer Palmieri's leaked email this week, the Democrats in this country view impoverished refugees, impoverished new immigrants, DACA people as future Democrat voters. There is no logical basis for conservatives, for President Trump and others who are conservative to spend serious time negotiating with the American left when their goal is entirely never to discuss principles or policies. It's all about we want more people legalized in America so we think because we think they'll be future Democrat voters. And leading to my last point, which I'll have to embellish on after the break, but that is this. This is an effort since the day President Trump won the presidential election to bring him down. This is the latest battle by the American left essentially saying you are not allowed to be president and every chance we have to mock, to ridicule, to stir up the public, to get them upset with you, to get them angry with you, we're going to do this because if we can get America stirred up, maybe somehow we can get our goal of impeachment. This is what this is really all about. And people on our side, conservatives who love this country, better recognize we need to stop being being led around like puppets on a string. We need to be thinkers about America. I'm Debbie George Ass, America Can We Talk. Come right back. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. America guarantees each eligible adult citizen the right to vote. 
The Public Interest Legal Foundation, a 501c3 public interest law firm, is dedicated entirely to election integrity, to assuring that voter rolls include names of only citizens eligible to vote, and that protections are in place to prevent voter fraud of all kinds. The Public Interest Legal Foundation discovered that more than 1,000 non-citizens enrolled to vote in Virginia in just eight counties. And in Philadelphia, felons as well as non-citizens are on the voter rolls. Non-citizens have been registering to vote and voting. The Public Interest Legal Foundation is fighting nationwide and in Texas to ensure that only Americans pick American leaders. We are actively litigating high-impact cases to clean up voter rolls and protect the ballot box. If you do not want your vote canceled out, visit publicinterestlegal.org to join us in the fight to restore integrity to American elections. Protect your vote. Visit publicinterestlegal.org today. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony List, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. You know, folks, I want to talk with you in that first five about the importance of recognizing the stakes ahead of us, the stakes in front of us, in dealing and in and discussing this whole issue about DACA, and which is the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, it is an executive order, a completely unconstitutional executive order that President Obama issued after having acknowledged previous to that that he had no authority to do that. But he issued that order essentially saying that if your parents brought you over here you know, and you didn't voluntarily cross the border yourself, you just have the right to stay here. And what the battle about, the narrow battle in Washington, is whether or not these DACA illegal aliens who have a quasi-legal status right now, should they simply be 
amnestied, made into citizens? Should they be given an expedited path to citizenship? Should they be doing something um, or, or they're otherwise, because the way DACA is written, they are, uh, I think March is the next date that they face deportation. And President Trump has said he's not going to extend that again. So we've, we're coming to terms with this. And I want to tell you, there's a very exciting opportunity really for America uh, right now in Washington, right now in January 2018, to deal with not just the DACA issue, but the longer standing challenge America has on immigration. But let me finish one other thing on DACA. It is, it is, you know, true beyond belief. In fact, there were recent, recent information came out from the United Nations about the percentage of people in this world, you know, living without basic sanitation. I'll leave it at that. Even basic sanitation, staggering numbers. Uh, the world is full of poverty. And America is the, you know, abundant, prosperous nation leading the world in prosperity. We in America do have not a legal obligation under our Constitution, but a moral obligation as a Christian nation, as a good people, to help people. It does not mean that every single person who wants to come to America can come. We cannot afford that. We, cannot, we, we would change our country dramatically for the worse if we were to do that. But we are trying to work out in, in this Western civilization, this democratic republic, how do we deal with immigration, with the desire of people to come here, how do we, what are our priorities and principles underlying immigration, and how do we deal with these people who, you know, through no fault of their own, but still are now young adults and, and some middle-aged adults living in America with no legal status? How do we do that? And you can be a loving, good person and not have a racist thought in your heart or your mind and still think and still be able to say out loud that many of the countries where these people come from are true. And, you know, there are other words. I'm not going to use the word uh, President Trump, as Leslie have used. But what, these, these, are, these are not lovely places. And this is what you're, what you're watching and hearing in the American left is this phony, sanctimonious, virtue-signaling, political opportunism bullying when they are getting hysterical over a term President Trump supposedly used. And their, their solution Understand, the solution of the American left is always amnesty for everybody, let everybody in, make them all citizens because they think these will all be future Democrat voters. And once you realize that that is the mindset of the American left, it makes it impossible and, and unwise, in fact, unethical for Republicans to sit down with them and say, hey, can we meet you halfway in the middle? It's like we're negotiating our own demise when you realize that the Democrat goal is not to come up with policy good for America good for our culture, our free market culture, our economics, our, our whole culture of America and culture of liberty. That is not the goal of the Democrat Party. The goal of the Democrat Party is to bring future voters here. And this is why it's such a challenge. And so President Trump, whatever his words were, he raised the question, why is it? And now everyone in America is talking about it. Why is it that the Democrat Party always stresses and strives and works so hard to bring unskilled, low-skilled, uneducated, poor people to America as a priority in immigration or in refugee policy, for that matter. Why is that? Why is that good for our country? Why is that good for America? Why is that good for our country? So I want to tell you what the fabulous opportunity we have here, and I cannot encourage you strongly enough, especially if you're listening on our Facebook Live, if you are um, 
If you haven't listened before, I want to mention to you, you can go to our website, americacanwetalk.org. All the links to everything we're talking about tonight will be up, and you can read them there. But the one I really want to hit on in this segment is to talk with you about a bill pending in Congress. And the author of the bill is Republican Congressman Bob Goodlatte, along with, uh, and he's from Virginia, along with Texas Congressman Michael McCall, so it's House Judiciary Committee and House Homeland Security Committee. They've come up with a new bill called Securing America's Future Act. Securing America's Future Act. I, it is a fabulous bill, and I'm, a, I'm not going to read the lengthy bill, of course, but I'm going to give you this summary because what they're really doing here is getting way beyond just addressing amnesty for the DACA people or the alleged dreamers, that whole term. But they're looking at what should be the priorities in America. So our immigration policy is premised on protecting the goodness, the greatness, the uniqueness of America. So here are their top points. They refocus legal immigration on skills needed in America. So that means the focus is we bring people here whose skills match our needs. Remember, everyone can't come to America. We should prioritize keeping our nation strong, our economy robust, our our industries, our research, our universities, everything here robust because the world is blessed by it. So refocusing legal immigration on skills needed. So ends the diversity program, this completely random notion in in, uh, the um, past immigration bills that says by by some random diversity program, we're going to pick other people, eliminates the visa lottery. Ends chain migration. Even if you have the right to be here, if you have a legal right, you've come to America from some other country, you don't have the right to bring every relative you can ever think of. And I got to tell you, folks, how chain migration has worked is that one person gets here legally, however they do. They, through chain migration, bring their immediate family and their extended family. Then the extended family gets here, and they bring their extended family, and on and on and on and on. And pretty soon, our priorities in immigration are not about the values and skills we care about. It's about who managed to get here and bring their relatives. It reduces overall immigration levels by about 25%. Instead of bringing a million here, it's closer to 750,000. Increases immigration levels for skilled workers. It urges and encourages people to bring skilled workers. Increases the number of green cards available for skilled workers. Has a new program related to... um, agricultural workers. And so it's saying a workable agricultural guest worker program to grow the economy. It has visa security, more ICE agents to high-risk embassies overseas, vet visitors and vet immigrants there. Number two, secures our borders, builds a strong border wall, advances technology, secures ports of entry, more boots on the ground for border patrol, uses the National Guard, biometric entry exit system actually is a way to, to identify who it is who's coming here and who is and, and knowing who they are regardless of the papers they present. We are able to say we know who you are. You're not allowed back in. We, we know what you did last time you came here. Number three, prevents future illegal immigration via interior enforcement, meaning it is a method within the um, within America to be sure that the magnet of jobs in America for illegal aliens is cut off. No more magnet, no more coming here for the goal of getting a job that takes a job away from an American. It makes E-Verify mandatory, meaning businesses who hire people can't just say, well, I thought the guy was legal. I swore he said he was because right now E-Verify exists, but it's voluntary. This makes it mandatory. Cracks down sanctuary cities, basically cuts off money, facilitates cooperation with local law enforcement, 
recalls for the required detaining of dangerous individuals who can't be removed. Kate uh, has a Kate's law, criminal penalties, people coming back over and over, combats asylum fraud. The fourth thing it does, I'm going to run out of time, and I really want to run through. This bill, I just cannot urge you strong enough. If you just tuned in, you want to go and read on AmericaCanWeTalk.org or Google it yourself, the Securing America's Future Act proposed by Bob Goodlap. This is a time Republicans have a majority in the Senate, majority in the House. They have the White House. This is a bill that conservatives should get behind and fight for because this is a way to get beyond the next battle, the next battle, the next battle, the next silliness that the left comes up with. But the final one is it deals with DACA. It has, which is, again, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, the, the people in the million, I guess it's like 700,000 who are here now um, under this program. But it legislative provides, it pro- provides them a legal status. Individuals who receive DACA on the basis of being brought to the U.S. as minors, they get a three-year renewable legal status, allowing them to work and travel, but no special path to a green card and no special path to citizenship. It does not let them get the advantage of their illegal entry in terms of putting them on a path towards citizenship in America. Folks, this is a fabulous, fabulous bill. It also, with DACA, you're out if you have a crime conviction. You're out if you're a gang member. has lots of strong anti-fraud provisions. And the reason I'm so excited about this is because Donald Trump won his election last year because he really, this was a heart and soul issue for literally millions of Americans who came out to vote for him. They said, we want rule of law back. We want immigration that serves America's needs. We don't hate foreigners. We don't hate other people. We're not xenophobic. We don't hate other countries. We just love America. And we want to have, we're entitled as Americans to have an immigration system based on what America needs and wants, not based on what the Democrats, how many new voters they want. Okay, we may get back to this in the second hour. I got to tell you, we're kind of having a break here. I want to mention to you, we have a great guest coming up next hour, next segment have changed subjects, which is Fred Flights talking about what's happening in Iran. Don't go away. Our nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing the national debate on property rights energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. 
along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare. They offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million Heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. There's a lot of talk today among media and academia in our culture about everything that is supposedly wrong with America. Political correctness tries to dictate that we must stop thinking that America is exceptional. America's bravest have our back in the air, at sea, and on land. But who has America's back in the culture? In schools, on cable television, in newspapers? It's time to end the greatest prejudice on earth, anti-Americanism. And who makes the case for America? Flag does. Flag is the foundation for liberty and American greatness. Flag has America's back on the cultural battlefield. Flag is a nonprofit battle tank working to change the cultural and media narrative about America. If you think it's time to stand up for America, join the Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness. Your support of Flag is an investment in the America your children will inherit. Visit their website at flagusa.org and consider donating. All donations are 100% tax deductible. That's flagusa.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. I mentioned before the break, we have a great guest joining us, and he's joining us by phone. I meant to say at the start of the show, I'm very um, excited uh, and grateful that I'm able to do this show from California. We happen to be out in California, and I'm using the Salem studio in Oxnard. So grateful for everyone who's helped out making this possible to do. And I believe Fred is in Washington, and my show is based in Texas. So there you are. This is America. Uh, But we have Fred Flights on the phone. He's the senior vice president for policy and programs at the Center for Security Policy, one of my f- absolute favorite organizations, uh, in leading the fight on defending America against many of the challenges we face as a country. And he served in, ba- in national security positions in Washington for 25 years at the CIA, the DIA, the Department of State, and the House Intelligence Committee. And so I've had Fred on before, but I'm grateful he was available again. So hi, Fred. Welcome. Hey, Debbie. Great to be here. So glad you can be. Well, I want to just jump in and talk about what is happening in Iran. And and there's two kind of different things about Iran. One is I want to start with where we are on the Iranian deal, which um, I know you wrote about. And I have your articles in front of me all duly highlighted and stickied and marked up. But the basic thing is my listeners are well aware from many other guests that we had a – 
problem in uh, in America because we had President Obama entered uh, the Iranian deal, which was a very bad deal uh, and and really made world less safe. And so there's always been a question of what we do about it now as as time moves along. So we had I just if you can bring our, li- our listeners up to speed. Where do we stand in the Iranian deal now? Well, Debbie, I've a lot of, I've done a lot of time a lot of work on this in my time in government. I've written a book on the Iran deal, and I was uh, very disappointed with the president's decision to extend the Iran deal again. Uh, I mean, my analysis is that this deal is a fraud. It can't be fixed. Iran has wasted, the Iranian leaders have wasted sanctions relief on billions, billions of dollars in sanctions relief on terrorism, uh, military activities, nuclear activities, its missile program. Um, They've isolated the country more, and the people have suffered. But the president extended it again. And um, many of us had urged him not to do that. And I, I, I'm, I'm sort of concerned about that. But there is some good news. And the good news is from a reliable source I know who, who met with the president. I broke this on Fox News Friday evening. And this source told me two things. First of all, the president never expects Congress to fix the deal. He didn't expect it when, when he told my friend this in December. He doesn't expect it now. The second point is, as much as President Trump hates the Iran deal and is worried about the Iranians, North Korea is a priority, and he's going to deal with that first. So, you know, I didn't like this decision, but I can accept it because that makes a lot of sense. And I'll give this for me. I also believe the president will withdraw in this terrible deal when he has some better personnel in place. The two people who are really causing him trouble on this agreement are H.R. McMaster, the National Security Advisor, and Secretary of State Tillerson. At least one of them will be gone by the time the 90 or 120-day clock the president set out for this final uh, effort to fix it is done. My hope is John Bolton will be National Security Advisor because the president can, can get out of the deal. He can order that, but then that decision has to be implemented. I don't think, so. I don't think Rex Tillerson would do it. So hopefully he'll be gone by the time the president makes his decision. But don't be fooled by all these people saying that the deal's going to be fixed, Congress is going to pass legislation to fix it, Europeans are going to fix it. None of those things are going to happen. I think the president postponed this decision until he's ready to withdraw. Okay. So I want to – well, first of all, I sad to say I missed you on Fox on Friday, but we are on – quasi-vacation, so I didn't see that. But I'm glad you shared that. And I do agree that North Korea is a more, it's a major pressing international threat and certainly deserves his top focus. But still, sticking with Iran for a second, Iran, um, the argument I was reading and hearing is that some people were saying, well, you know, if we do anything about withdrawing from the Iranian deal, we're going to be stuck because other parties, other countries, are in bed with Iran deal-wise and, and, you know, with businesses. They, so our European allies, even ones that were part of the deal with Iran to start with, are going to not go along with us, and we would be abandoning the Iran deal on our own, as, and, and so that, that it wouldn't be as effective or somehow would be harmful. What is your thought about that? Well, there are arguments that, look, the sanctions relief has already been given away. Uh, we really offend the Europeans. If we back out, they have business deals with Iran. You know, I don't think any of those are valid arguments. We have to reinstitute a series of sanctions that bars all transfers of nuclear missile technology to Iran. It will take time to rebuild the sanctions that Barack Obama took down. I mean, there's no doubt about that. This deal was was uh, negotiated 
with no input from regional states. The Israelis and Saudis and, and Gulf states were stunned at this. Ambassador John Bolton has a plan to get out of the deal, to put together a new arrangement with our allies in the Middle East, especially Israel. The Europeans are going to be mad at us. You know what? Europeans don't have any credibility on Iran since they're not staying with the Iranian demonstrators. The fact that, that was my next point. Off, <laughs> Go ahead, sorry. With a giant Airbus contract, that is not a reason we should defer to them. I couldn't agree more, and I was going to get to that. You know, there are uh, this notion that we are. We have to stand with our European allies with whom we negotiate this deal with Iran. If they don't want to get out of it, we're stuck. I love the idea of America being a leader based on principle in the world. And we are in America, and I'm thrilled about it. President Obama has been strong in saying we, the American people, excuse me, President Trump, sorry, sorry about that Obama thing. President Trump has been strong in saying we stand with the Iranian protesters, and the European allies have been silent about that. And I think it does. It takes away their moral, that the right of the, of the uh, European allies to have any moral uh, pl- place to stand. I mean, don't you think it's a very significant thing that President Trump is standing with the protesters? It, it's it's perfect. It, it it was it's really one of the best things he's done as president, and it contrasts so strongly with Barack Obama's refusal to speak up in the demonstrations that took place in 2009 when those demonstrators after the fraudulent Iranian presidential election when those people were were beaten up, many of them killed. It was the French who stood up and spoke out. Barack Obama didn't because he wanted his fraudulent Iran nuclear deal. It was an embarrassment that we didn't speak up. It is to the credit of Mr. Trump that he spoke up. And really, we have to embarrass the Europeans who still don't want to say anything about what's going on in Iran right now. I mean, that that's really the issue. Not that President Trump is going to get out of the bad nuclear deal. It's Europe's silence to these gross human rights violations. And the other thing, back to the Iranian deal, I know that there were uh, many pieces we didn't like about it, but isn't among the most central things that are so wrong with the Iranian deal that we don't actually have verification, we don't have adequate inspection procedures, so we really don't know what Iran is doing. So we in America could think, well, we cut a deal, everything must be stable. But it's actually very dangerous that right now as we speak, Iran is maybe developing weapons, and we have no way to adequately inspect that's exactly right. Now, and my, my, my colleague, Claire Lopez, who I think you've spoken with, she's very good on this, too. I hope you'll interview her about this. The proposed fixes are very weak. We're going we're gonna to change the timeline so that the deal is indefinite in length. We're going to let inspectors go anywhere they want. Well, that's good. But, you know, the major flaws of the deal is that we don't know what they were doing because we closed the book on their past nuclear activities. And there's no requirement that Iran give up uranium enrichment the operation of a heavy water reactor, which will be a source of plutonium. Plutonium is the preferred fuel for nuclear weapons. That's not even being talked about. By there, there are some moderate Republican think tanks in Washington who are making terrible recommendations that have found their way into Trump administration policy papers. I think the good thing is the president's going to ignore them. He's going to withdraw anyway, just not right now. Okay, I love that. And then on to the protesters in Iran. You know, I have to say, I, I, I remember very vividly in 2009 when um, that it just seemed like a like an American revolution happening over there. Obviously, a different set of facts, but I mean, there was people rising up against oppression, and we let we just were silent. And this time again, these are massive protests happening now in, here in 2018. It actually ended 
began at the very end of 2017 in December, massive protests. And I know that some people, I mean, there are kind of two aspects of it. I wanted to ask you about both of them. Isn't part of the problem in Iran, and the, but leading the protests is shortage of food, shortage of supplies, because the money that Iran received because we no longer have sanctions against them is not making its way to the hands of the people. Is that accurate? That's right. The, co- the economy has been very badly managed. The people can't get enough food. There's high unemployment. There's high inflation. There are reports of Iranians selling their kidneys to raise money. And they expected that their lives would be improved by this nuclear deal. Instead, the money was spent on terrorism. $830 million last year went to Hezbollah from the Iranian government. Hezbollah is Iran's terrorist proxy. It gave a billion-dollar line of credit to the Syrian government right after the agreement was announced in 2015. The Iranian people see this. Also, the Iranians, young, young Iranians are 60% of the population, 60% are under 30. They know from the Internet what's going on outside of their country. They want the freedom they see in the West. They do not want to be ruled under this oppressive theocracy. Absolutely right. And you know, we're coming up on a break. I know a little voice in my head is going to tell me we've got to go to a break. We're speaking with Fred Flight to the Center for Security Policy. You can hold on, right, Fred? Sure. Okay, folks, come back after the break. Debbie George asked, America Can We Talk? Cannot wait to tell you more about this. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection 
from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. And welcome back to America Kimmy Talk. If you're just tuning in, uh, two things I need to tell you. One is that we are uh, speaking tonight with Fred Flights, and he is uh, just a great guest. I'm always grateful to be able to have him on our show. Um, he is he served 25 years in U.S. In, uh, US national security positions in Washington, ranging from the CIA and the DIA, the Department of State, and House Intelligence. He's now with the Center for Security Policy, a true uh, national security expert. And I love getting to talk with him. He also is often on Fox and other major networks and explains things very well. But I thought of a question, Fred, on the break. I want to come back and ask you, which is, don't you think it's a kind of odd thing? Here you have these protesters in Iran, and among the things they're protesting is suppression, Islamic suppression by the mullahs in Iran. And they're, they're yearning for more Western-style freedom. And France, as an example, and much of Western Europe is struggling under the growing violence, the jihadism, the, just the Islamic supremacism, whatever you want to call it, in Western Europe— and don't, doesn't it seem like the sensibilities of those Western European countries ought to be more along the lines of, wow, we should help these people because they're on the right side of this issue. They're seeing the same danger of Islamic uh, repression that we're seeing. I mean, how does that what, – what do you think about that? Well, in, partially to answer your question, let me tell you something interesting. Just after the protest broke out, Iran lifted a law requiring women to wear veils when they go outside. I saw that, yeah. Isn't that interesting? Because the Iranians know there's something coming. Look, there is denial in, in the West and, and among the left about the threat from radical Islam. They don't want to accept it. But, you know, it, it's, it's, it's sort of related to why CNN and the American left and European leaders, why they don't want to talk about these protests. Uh, and it's more than just they don't want to give 
President Trump win, although that's part of it. Yeah. The fact is that a lot of them stick to this uh, perverted worldview of Barack Obama that uh, Iran is a victim, and it's a victim of past American policies. And we have to be sympathetic to Iran and work with their leaders. And it's wrong to be calling them evil and oppressive, even though this is an oppressive country. This is a country where protesters, if they go in, if they go into prison, we may never see them again. And it just galls the left to come to terms with that. They would rather uh, attack uh, President Trump uh, for for calling out the Iranian government or, or, or tell him, oh, you better be quiet or it's going to be trouble. Well, we know being quiet didn't work when Barack Obama was quiet. But that's what concerns me here. It's this denial and it's this uh, perverted view of seeing Iran as a victim of past American policies. And that's not why the American uh, that's not why the Iranian people are suffering. In fact, I saw something about that. The New York Times had a lot. You talk about you're essentially talking about media complicity in having America not understand and not deal in truth about what's happening in Iran. But New York Times tried originally when these protests first began to blame them on something about uh, these were. I was trying to find the language really quickly. Um, Iran's um, urban middle classes are swept up in a wave of nationalist fervor due to the election of President Trump and the. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that was the, that's a New York Times quote. I, I mean, and I do, you know, there's something so refreshing, whether you loved or didn't love President Trump in the primary or in the election cycle. He's bringing this refreshing assertion of truth, and it's making the media crazy. I mean, just crazy. They can hardly believe this guy is not going along with the well-established media narrative that Islam is a religion of peace, that there's nothing wrong with all these Islamic-majority countries. They have their standards, and they're morally equivalent with ours, and people love living under that repression. And, and Trump is saying what America realizes, no, actually, no one really wants to live under this. And you know what's interesting? The left did the same thing to Ronald Reagan during the Cold War. They thought there was a moral equivalency between us and the Soviet Union. They couldn't stand it when he called the Soviet Union the evil empire. And, I mean, this was, this was universal. I mean, I met with Soviet scholars who were almost all leftists, and, and you know, they all went native on the Soviet Union. They, they, couldn't, they couldn't deal with, with President Reagan calling out evil like President Trump is doing towards Iran today. Yep, it is. It is breathtaking, and honestly, I think you know. We were, I was talking on the segment before you came on about this scuffle uh, in the last few days in Washington over whatever comments Trump may have made in a, in a private meeting in the White House uh, related to uh, refugee policy, immigration policy. But I think people who are so inspired by President President Trump's just. I'm I'm going to drain the establishment. I'm going to drain the swamp. I'm going to bring change. I'm going to speak truth. I think people just, I mean, I, I think the media keeps waiting to hear this outrage from the masses who supported Trump. And they're just, all they're mostly saying is, yeah, he kind of said what I'm thinking. He said what a lot of people think. I mean, he's just very refreshing. Okay, here's my last serious question for, because uh, you're a national security expert, and I don't know what we can do, but what can America do to support these Iranian protesters? What, what, what's within our power to do? I think we need to really get after our representatives to say, this is a priority. We need to hear from you on the floor of Congress. We need to put forward legislation supporting these people. And if you're represented by a Democratic member of Congress who would prefer to go out every day and, you know, complain about Trump, you know, these people are dying in the streets fighting for liberty. Why don't they spend some time on that rather than their constant efforts 
to, to undermine this president. I mean, it, it, it really, I, I, I don't think there's so little coverage of this on CNN. There's so little being said about this by Democratic legislators. And I'm just thinking, like, do they represent the freest country on earth? They represent the country that is the gold standard of global freedom, and they should be speaking out for global freedom uh, in, in, instead of uh, getting involved in just, you know, nasty and pointless uh, partisan bickering. I love that point. I love that. Okay, so Fred, I um, I will tell our listeners again, if you go to americacanwetalk.org, um, many of the articles I referenced in our conversation and articles by Fred Flights, uh, including one in na- the National Review, several um, articles he's written are linked on our website, americacanwetalk.org. And honestly, I encourage people, and I always do, for to follow uh, your organization, centerforsecuritypolicy.org, because... You can go there every day. In fact, your daily email is frankly kind of overwhelming. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, full of information. But tell us a little more about what you do there and what people can learn when they go to the Center for Security Policy website. Well, we're a, we're a uh, an influential Washington think tank. We're not the largest in the city, but we have a tremendous contacts. Uh, we work on the threat from radical Islam, terrorism, threats to the power grid, Iran, North Korea, lots and lots of issues. Our uh, uh, website, securefreedom.org, has some crucial information your listeners should check out. We have a lot of publications. Most of them are available as free PDF downloads from our website. And so I, I hope your listeners will check it out. Oh, it's just a great website. Fred Flights, thank you so very much for calling in. I really appreciate that. Great to be here. Thank you. Okay, folks, I do want to, because uh, this issue we're talking about, this is such a window on the difference in America between the left and the right, or as I like to say, the America and the non-America, the America being the right and not America being the American left. Several things about it. You look at these protesters in Iran. These are young people. These are, in fact, I, he had the number, what he said, he said, 60% of Iranians are under the age of 30 or something. I mean, they have a youthful population. They have activism in that country. These people want freedom. They do not want to live under Islamic repression. We have eight years of political correctness drilled into American media's heads into, in, from President Obama's era, drilled into the American consciousness that we shouldn't really point out that Islam is repressive. But of course it is. Of course it is. That's what these Iranian protesters are saying. Let us live our lives the way we want. We don't want to be forced by mullahs and theocrats in the Iranian government. And now I I thought it was interesting, Fred Flies pointed out, that immediately as these uh, protests, these current protests in Iran started, that one of the things the mullahs did was quick change the rule that women don't have to wear a hijab, a head covering, when they leave their home. Okay, just think about that. Just think about that they used to have to, that in this era, in, the, in, this, in the year 2018, that they still do in Islamic countries around the world, that they can still be punished by the clothing police in countries around the world because they're not adequately covering their head, their face, everything about themselves. I mean, this yearning for freedom, it is inborn in, in humanity, inborn in God's children. People don't want to live under repression. And this back to the left versus right thing, you have the women's march coming up again, the alleged women's march. It's not the women's march. It's the radical left-wing women's march coming up in which the women who last year wore um, 
pink hats. I won't even say the word that they use for those hats because that's not a nice word. But these are women who are complaining about repression in America and complaining about you know inequality and complaining about whatever it is they're complaining about. And they don't have the backbone, the integrity, the honesty, the willingness to speak up and say, we support the protesters in Iran. They can't say it. They won't do it. They are so in bed with, melded with, and and just marinating in left-wing culture, they would rather ignore the reality that women in Islamic countries around the world suffer under repression, and the left-wing women's groups say nothing. Which leads me to my point I often make about alleged women's groups in America. When women say, I'm in women's group, what they usually mean is, I'm a left-winger, with left-wing views, and I want, and I'm going to try to get credibility by saying I stand up for women. But if you cannot, if you cannot as a force for women in America, in the world, the American women's groups, if they cannot say, we stand up in solidarity with the protesters in Iran who want freedom, who do not want to be told by the religious police how to dress and how to live and who they can date and who they must marry and whether or not they can work and whether they can drive. The, you talk about true repression in the year 2018. It's coming from Islam. And here we have in Iran a perfect opportunity. A, you know, The table set for you, uh, leftist American women, who are going to go in some ridiculous new march over who knows what and silent about this, it's not okay. It's just not okay. Hey, folks, we've got to go off to a break in just uh, a couple of minutes here, too. And I want to mention something. If you're watching this on Facebook Live, first of all, hi. I'm going to tell you that I love doing this show on Facebook Live. I love all the listeners we get. I love the video is shared by various groups. Every time I end a segment, I turn off the camera because it's not fun to watch me sit here for four minutes. But always go back as soon as the video ends. Go back to my Facebook page for the radio show called America Can We Talk. If you go back to that page, you'll then find the next segment because we are creating these as little segments for each different, um, you know, each 15-minute thing. And so you can always go back and hear the next thing. And now i got to go off to a break because otherwise they're going to cut me off. Come right back in the top of the next hour. Debbie George asks, America Can We Talk. <laughs> 